Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 8 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Listener caution is advised as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. Dina Holmes was born in Hendon, North London in 1960 to parents Margaret and Michael Holmes. Dina studied hard at school and when she was 22, while working for the Woolwich Building Society in Arundel, she met Lee Wyatt. A year after meeting, the pair moved into a property located in Green Oaks, Lansing, West Sussex. In October of the following year, they became husband and wife. While they experienced several instances of heartbreak after a number of miscarriages and the birth of a stillborn baby, when Dina was 27, she gave birth to the couple's only child, Darren, in 1987. The pair had big ambitions and set up a business while working their regular day jobs. Dina Lee Crafts was launched through their line of soft toys, they hoped their self-created character Sean the Leprechaun on which the toys were based would earn them a fortune and be developed into a hit animation film for children. Following a holiday in Florida, D 
Dina convinced her husband that they would be earning £50 million through a deal she had struck with the Walt Disney Company. This was far from the truth, as at home the business had folded. Dina still continued to convince Lee that they were on track to make millions in America. It was just taking time. Meanwhile, Lee took a job at the Bedford Hotel in Brighton, and Dina started to steal money in instalments from the building society where she worked. Soon the Woolwich had £26,000 missing from their books. Around this time, Dina met a man who she began an affair with. Julian Webb was selling advertising for the West Sussex Gazette. Unaware his partner was having an affair, Lee and his wife applied for a mortgage in Yapton, a village in West Sussex near the southeast coast of England. Lee and Dina were mostly apart while Lee was preparing the new house. Three months after the purchase on July 22, 1991, Lee was shocked to be served divorce papers from his wife at their new home. Amongst the reasons it stated, Lee Wyatt was quick-tempered and their now four-year-old son was afraid of him. Just over a month later, Lee received more legal correspondence when he found out Dean had got an injunction against him, stopping Lee from having contact with their son. Lee got in touch with his wife and she responded, Don't worry, it's not proper, it's not real. A few months on in early November, Lee Wyatt found out his wife had bigamously married Julian Webb. Lee had kept in touch with Dina, but she insisted they had to separate for their own safety. The Mafia had found out about the £50 million they were set to make through their deal with Disney, and they wanted a cut. Dina told Lee his life was in danger. Lee was instructed to change his name and move somewhere else so he could not be tracked down before the move to America. Convinced by what Dina had told him, Lee did indeed up sticks in fear for his life. At first sleeping rough on park benches, waiting for the money to come in so he, his wife and son could move to Florida, Lee found work in Cornwall fixing arcade machines. On a low wage, he sent most of his money to Dina, living on as little as he could afford. Every time he made contact with his wife, she insisted the coast was not yet clear and the mafia which she had dubbed the G-Squad was still after him. Unbeknownst to Julian Webb, His new wife was already married, and Lee Wyatt thought Dina was building the foundations to start a new life together in Florida, but the theft of nearly £30,000 from her job was beginning to catch up with her. Dina had no intention of taking the rap, and persuaded her first husband Lee Wyatt to confess to the theft in a series of letters. Lee later said, She lives a life of lies and fantasy and I was the mug who went along with it. (music) 
distraught phone call was made to police by Dina on February 8, 1993. She told the operator she had been attacked and she knew exactly who the assailant was. She claimed to have been at home when someone knocked at the front door. In her statement, at the entrance of the property, Lee Wyatt lunged for Dina, then smashed her head against a wall. She said this attack was followed by a brutal sexual assault. Dina was examined, and her injuries lined up with her recollection of the attack. This included vaginal bruising, bleeding, burns, and bruises to her neck. Yet when police caught up with Lee Wyatt, they discovered the alibi he provided them checked out. He was actually at work during the time of the alleged assault, hundreds of miles away from Dina when the incident was said to have taken place. Since she was insistent it was her first husband, Lee Wyatt, and his alibi was airtight, police came to the unusual and uncomfortable conclusion that the injuries were self-inflicted. Three more similar claims were reported by Dina, but the outcome was always the same. There was no evidence Lee Wyatt was even in the area at the time of the attacks. Years later, Dina would admit that at least two of these alleged attacks were fabricated. Julian Webb celebrated his 31st birthday on June 30th, 1994. He had a fondness of really spicy food, so along with his wife, they had an extra spicy curry for his birthday dinner. But afterwards, he fell ill. Julian's mother, Rosemary Webb, called the house three times on his birthday to speak to her son. But each time, Dina said he was too unwell to open his cards or even to speak to her. Early the next morning, Rosemary received a call from the police. The news was every parent's worst nightmare. Her only child was dead. A funeral was held for Julian on August 24th, 1994. His wife placed flowers at his graveside, which read... To Julian, because you loved me so, Dina. A day later, an open verdict was ruled at the inquest into his death, and an exact cause could not be determined. The penny was beginning to finally drop for Dina's first husband, Lee Wyatt. He insisted on meeting with her in Florida, the place where she promised they would start a new life. But when overseas, Lee found out his wife was now romantically involved with someone else, Robert Waite. Dina's new lover had agreed to travel to America with her, as she convinced him she had only a few weeks to live because of a growth on her kidneys.
1995, the law finally caught up with Dina. Facing seven charges of theft and two of forgery relating to the money she stole from the Woolwich Building Society, Judge Eric Rintmore said during her trial, she was one of the most fluent liars I have ever come across. Dina was sentenced to 18 months in jail. Following her release, Dina met a man called Phil Trot by chance while shopping in Worthing. The pair hit it off and she asked him out on a date. The lies started almost immediately when she claimed she had throat cancer. The relationship didn't last when a few weeks later he discovered she had taken £500 from his bank account. Through a Lonely Hearts column in 1997, Dina started to date another man, Graham Binks. She once again claimed to have terminal cancer and invited her new boyfriend on an all-expenses-paid holiday to Florida. Unbeknownst to Graham, she hadn't paid for the trip at all. Dina had opened Graham's mail, stealing his credit card and blowing £4,404 on the trip. Finally, in 1997, Dina and Lee Wyatt divorced. A year later, she met Richard Thompson via a Lonely Hearts column in a newspaper. She married the British telecoms manager the following year, and they lived together in the village of Rustington, West Sussex. The pair married in a ceremony on a beach in Florida, and with a new last name, Dina Thompson now had a fresh start. But history began to repeat itself when, like her previous relationships, she promised her new husband a life in America. She claimed to have won £300,000 on the national lottery, but could not get to the funds as they were tied up in a bank in Jersey. Dina said she had a contact in Florida to get Richard a job as a fishing boat captain, but unfortunately her contact was indisposed at the time as this mystery man was working undercover for the FBI. She also claimed she was a college teacher and an antiques dealer. Alarmingly, she also lied again about having cancer, both in her breast and ovaries, telling her new husband that time was running out as the diagnosis was terminal. Upon being told this, Richard was convinced and took £36,000 from his retirement fund to move to Florida. He gave his wife £3,000 so she could use the money as a deposit on a house, but the funds were instead used to pay off the balance of a credit card which Dina had secretly taken out in her new husband's name. Her activities became more suspicious when she inquired about Richard surrendering his £89,000 life assurance policy. Scam after scam followed, with each more audacious than the last, when finally she put their house up for sale without telling her husband. It was only a matter of time before the ruse was discovered and Dina confessed to Richard what she had done. Accounts after this point diverge, 
as Dina and Richard provided conflicting statements as to what happened next. Dina Thompson claimed after finding out about the lies and missing money, Richard Thompson attacked her while they were having sex. Her husband, on the other hand, said his wife had tried to kill him with a metal baseball bat and a knife in the kitchen when he was bound to the floor with masking tape and a leather belt in a bondage sex session. In August 2000, Dina Thompson appeared at Lewis Crown Court for the attempted murder of Richard Thompson and was facing 15 additional charges of deception. She denied that she attacked her husband, however admitted to the deception charges. A handwriting expert told the court she thought a signature on a loan agreement from the Abbey National in Richard Thompson's name was signed by Dina Thompson. Called by the defence, Richard Thompson's ex-wife Sarah Hockey told the court that her ex-husband, who she married in 1994, was mean and violent. He had a tendency to burn through money in their bank account, but turned nasty if she spent any of their joint finances. Speaking about her husband at the time, Sarah Hockey said, He was very selfish and would get angry if I spent money. He was aggressive and would play up like a spoiled child. When he wasn't winning the point, he would get violent. He would push me about or hit me. This happened several times. After the couple married, they purchased a cottage together, a property they planned to fix up. The witness said things did not go to plan when they moved in as the money they saved for the renovations was spent by Richard. A further bone of contention in the union was Richard's sexual preferences. He discussed bondage and was interested in all sorts of fantasy sex which I wasn't, Sarah Hockey stated. He wanted to tie me up but I didn't agree. He persisted for a while but I made it quite clear I wasn't interested. I got the impression he had done it before and it was something he wanted to continue to do. Sarah Hockey divorced her husband on the grounds of unreasonable behaviour in 1997. From the stand, Richard Thompson spoke about his new wife Dina and told the court, I fell for her personality. I trusted her 100%. The prosecution postulated that Dina Thompson had tried to kill her husband because she was scared to tell him the truth, that she had lied about having an abundance of money, having cancer, and because she had stolen from her husband. Counsel for the defence Joanna Greenberg QC admitted Dina Thompson was a con woman but said she would not have attempted such a clumsy murder. If her client intended to kill Richard Thompson... She said she would have used her powers of manipulation and discovered a way which would not have implicated her in the act. Greenberg told the jury at Lewis Crown Court, The Crown say this was something she planned, but it wasn't. The evidence of her fraud was all around them 
and also evidence of her sexual session. It would never have worked, and nobody, not even an unintelligent person, would have thought it would. Mrs. Thompson was not an unintelligent person. She's a woman capable of lying, lying, and lying. Greenberg continued, If she tells you today it's Friday, you would probably want to check in your newspaper for the truth. She isn't an honest woman, but despite an appalling record of dishonesty, she has never been violent. Both of these people saw in each other something they could get in financial terms, but Dina Thompson is the more experienced and practiced fraudster. When Dina Thompson met her husband, she was grossly overweight, jobless, and virtually penniless with a child to keep. Do you think he would have shown the slightest interest in her if he knew the truth? He saw Mrs. Thompson as a golden goose, even before he was told of the lottery win. He thought she had capital and was prepared to spend it on him. Dina Thompson was, to a very great extent, been the author of her own misfortune. She set about a course of conceit which would eventually bring about an explosion from Mr. Thompson. She played with fire and she got burned. Dina Thompson claimed she only struck her husband with a metal baseball bat in self-defence. She said her shoulder was sliced when trying to remove a knife from his grasp. After the evidence was presented and closing arguments heard, the jury came to a decision. In August 2000, Dina Thompson was found not guilty of attempted murder. For the 15 charges of deception, she was sentenced to three years and nine months in prison. Judge Anthony Scott Gall addressed Thompson during sentencing and said, You stole property from vulnerable men, all of whom in their own way had become enamoured with you and Mr. Thompson went so far as to marry you. You are someone who is irredeemably dishonest and driven by a desire to defraud people of their property. Though cleared of attempted murder, the case sparked a renewed interest in the suspicious death of Julian Webb, Dina Thompson's second husband. Detective Chief Inspector Martin Underhill said, The events portrayed in this trial and the unusual nature of Julian Webb's death prompted the force to reopen the investigation. While trawling through her past relationships, detectives could not track down some of Dina's previous boyfriends and lovers. DCI Underhill would go on to tell the press, There are some we never managed to find. One man we think was Russian and the other English. We have no idea what happened to them. Rosemary Webb's desire to find out the truth about her son's death was a driving force behind the reinvestigation. She did not believe that her 31-year-old healthy, fit son had suddenly become ill and died 
or that he would choose to take his own life. While she described her son as a happy, straightforward man, in contrast, she called Dina Thompson manipulative, scheming and dishonest. The day after Julian's death, his mother found out Dina had turned up at his workplace looking to discuss his £36,000 pension. Rosemary Webb tried to prove that she had the legal right over her son's affairs, as Dina wanted him to be cremated. His mother felt he should be laid to rest near the family home on Hailing Island. Luckily, Rosemary discovered Dina was still married to Lee Wyatt when she married Julian, making the marriage bigamous, therefore void. After solicitors were informed, Rosemary Webb was declared the beneficiary of her son's estate, allowing her the right to bury her son. Following their suspicions, police decided to exhume the body of Julian Webb when a new witness voiced their concerns about the curry Julian ate on his birthday. Don Hudson, a fellow angler, who Julian Webb had struck up a friendship with when he was trying to set up a new life in Florida, informed police that Dina told him about the dinner during a telephone conversation. After his friend's death, Dina had told Don that Julian had consumed seasickness pills, antihistamines, aspirin, and in addition drunk heavily along with eating a very hot curry though she did not go into detail why he had taken such a large amount of medication. Don Hudson said that his suspicions that Dina had murdered his friend were off the scale. Once the exhumation of Julian Webb's body was complete, Additional toxicology tests were undertaken by a German toxicologist, Dr. Hans Sachs, and it was evident that the death was far from an open and shut case. Someone was charged with Julian's murder, and a trial began during November 2003 at London's Old Bailey. Dina Thompson stood in the dock. During the prosecution's opening statements, Michael Burbaum QC spoke about Julian Webb and told jurors, There was a police investigation, but perhaps it was not as detailed as it might have been. The prosecution says Julian did not kill himself. The defendant killed him by subterfuge. She tricked him into taking lethal quantities of drugs. The prosecutor asked the jury why a man who was by all accounts fit and healthy showing no signs of depression chose to take his life on his 31st birthday and why would his wife be in such a hurry to have her husband's body cremated. Also, when paramedics arrived during the early hours, Dina Thompson retrieved empty bottles of aspirin and the antidepressant dothapin. However, if she was caring for her husband as she claimed, How was it possible he could have retrieved the drugs without her knowing? The jury were told that during the evening of June 30th, 1994, Thompson spoke with a friend of Julian's in the United States and explained that her husband had an extremely spicy curry for dinner and was feeling unwell. 
The pair had been to an Indian restaurant, and the prosecution postulated it was possible Julian's food could have been laced with vast amounts of aspirin and an antidepressant. The prosecutor argued that the bitter taste of the medication would have been hidden by the overpowering spice in the meal, allowing the victim to ingest large quantities of drugs without realising. A friend of the victim would later testify that Julian would often go into a curry house and ask for the spiciest thing on the menu. This developed into a running joke with some local businesses who thought the food inedible. Michael Burbaum QC put forward the case that there was in fact more than a financial motive for the crime, as Thompson would not only inherit Julian Webb's estate, but Thompson was also still married to her previous husband, Lee Wyatt. She was attempting to get Wyatt to implicate himself in the fraud that she was undertaking against the Woolwich Building Society, and wanted to ensure that Julian was not aware of Wyatt's existence. Her deception would eventually be discovered in 1995, a year after Julian Webb's death, and she was sentenced to 18 months in prison. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The defence argued that Julian Webb had taken his life after a short period of depression. Julian was known to attend the gym three times a week, was physically fit, and looked after himself. However, a week before he died, he was not seen at either the gym or his workplace, the West Sussex Gazette. The advertising salesman's family, friends and colleagues called at his home, but were told by Dina Thompson that her husband was unwell. Dina told police that Julian was drinking and taking steroids during this period, and on the evening of his birthday, June 30th, he'd spent the night in bed after the pair had eaten a curry. Thompson said that she had not been able to sleep in the same room as her husband, as he had been snoring loudly, but after checking on him in the early hours, she called for an ambulance when she found him lifeless with blood trickling from his mouth. 
The prosecution questioned Thompson's recollection of the events, as they had interviewed Julian's friends who explained that he rarely, if ever, drank alcohol. Detectives had also discovered Dina Thompson was prone to telling falsehoods regarding both her health and abuse she had suffered. She told friends that her previous husband, Lee Wyatt, had struck her when in fact the injuries were self-inflicted. And she also said multiple times that she was suffering from a life-threatening illness when she was not. Thompson had called Julian's workplace regarding her status on his pension shortly after his death. His boss at the time, Paul Robbins, would later give testimony and tell the court that Thompson arrived at the offices where he worked. Along with her father, she met him at the entrance of the building in her dressing gown and told Robbins of the news of Julian's death. Robbins testified that in a calm manner, Thompson told him she was laying in bed with Julian when he stopped breathing. Later that day, she then called the office to ask if it was possible to withdraw cash from Julian's pension as it was under her husband's name and she needed access to funds quickly. Paul Robbins was cross-examined by Joanna Greenberg QC for the defence and went on to admit that he may have been confused when describing Thompson's mood during their conversation outside the office, telling the court that she may have been upset at first, but then appeared to calm down. He also said that he was not completely sure if Thompson did say she was in bed with her husband when she realised he was dead. The prosecutor told the jury they should take all of Thompson's lies into account when evaluating her claim that Julian Webb had died from either food poisoning or suicide. Rosemary Webb also took the stand and testified that she warned her son about the speed of the relationship he was having with Dina Thompson after he announced the pair were going to marry only three months after meeting. She also recounted how she made several attempts to contact her son in the final days of his life. However, Dina said he was unable to answer the phone following a bout of sickness. As the second week of the trial came to an end, Dina Thompson's first husband, Lee Wyatt, addressed the court. The jury were told Wyatt had been arrested in connection with the Woolwich Building Society fraud, though no charges were ultimately brought against him. Wyatt had claimed that his wife Dina had told him that along with their son they would be moving to America where they would make £50 million from Sean the Leprechaun. Wyatt was also told Walt Disney were in the process of arranging their accommodation. This plan would not come to fruition, however, as Wyatt insisted that from the blue, Thompson told him that they were now being chased by the Mafia, so he had to move away and change his name. It was not until the beginning of 1994 that he started to question Dina's story. Lee Wyatt spoke of his fragile mental state, explaining he experienced delusions in which he communicated with his dead father by plucking paper from a bag marked with yes or no responses. 
Under cross-examination, counsel for Dina Thompson, Joanna Greenberg, QC, told the witness that he was not living in a fantasy world. He had only exaggerated his account when he sold his story to a tabloid newspaper. After giving an interview to police following his arrest in connection to the Building Society fraud and later before the trial, he made no mention of leprechauns or the Mafia. Further testimony would be heard from a paramedic and a doctor who attended the scene and broke the news to Dina Thompson that her husband had died. Paramedic Malcolm Wilson took the stand and told the court when he arrived at the scene he was told by Dina that her husband had only just died, however rigor mortis had set in, and based on his experience Julian Webb looked to have been dead for around four hours. The paramedic also found it surprising that the bed Julian was laying on had been made and looked to be undisturbed. Dr. Tazin Sharif also explained that when he told Dina that her husband was dead, he found her manner rather odd. While she questioned how she would cope and what she would do, the doctor told the court that the defendant seemed rather detached from reality. The jury would hear from one of Julian Webb's work colleagues, Graham Hewitt. On July 1st, 1994, Hewitt spoke to Dina Thompson on the phone and was informed that Julian was dead. He too was surprised by how detached Dina was. Hewitt told the court, She was almost matter-of-fact, cold and unemotional. She soon asked me questions about money owing to him and benefits. I remember being extremely surprised to the extent that I remember banging on the partition to call my colleague in to listen to this amazing call. In a further twist, before Julian's death, Patricia Smith, who also worked for the newspaper, confided to Graham Hewitt that she was having an affair with Julian, which ended a few weeks before he passed away. The two discussed the matter as Patricia Smith heard the suggestion that Julian had been unwell and was feeling depressed. However, she disagreed, certain that the man she was romantically involved with would not take his own life. While arguments were made to the court from Dina Thompson's defence counsel that Julian Webb was depressed because he had been unable to start a new life in the United States with his wife, a prosecution witness described how Thompson forged a letter from a company in Florida that was seeking employees for diving and fishing trips. The letter had been created on the computer of Thompson's neighbour, Jacqueline Howells. Dina Thompson had asked to use the computer as she didn't have one at home. The neighbour left her acquaintance to it, but when the work was finished, Thompson said the text she had created was no longer needed. Jacqueline Howells decided to save the text just in case her neighbour required it again. Written from a Mr Snelling, the letter offered Julian Webb a £20,000 a year salary working for a diving company with further benefits that included additional work on fishing trips, commission and a company car. 
As the case came to a close, Michael Burbaum QC summarised the evidence against Dina Thompson, arguing she had administered a concentrated dose of aspirin and antidepressants in a hot curry to kill her husband. Burbaum criticised the defendant for not taking the stand in her own defence. But during closing arguments, Joanna Greenberg QC, who successfully defended Thompson during her trial for attempted murder, told the jury at the Old Bailey that all the Crown had was circumstantial evidence and the blame had only fallen on Thompson's shoulders as those close to Julian were unable to accept that he would choose to take his own life. Greenberg said, This case is about an attempt by the prosecution to prove that by gathering together strange facts and half-recalled conversations and by saying we don't want to accept that Julian committed suicide, and by saying Dina is not a very nice person, that evidence putting Dina in a poor light is evidence on which you can rely to say she committed murder. All this has proved is that Dina is not a nice person. You certainly wouldn't buy a second-hand car from her, and she is certainly a person who is very frequently a stranger to the truth. But that evidence has fallen very short of proving she committed a murder. Julian had the choice here, and he made a wrong choice in ending his own life, but it was his life, and he was free to take it. Greenberg told the jury to question the evidence, as even with an incredibly spicy curry, it was unlikely that Julian Webb would not have realised what he was eating. Counsel for the defence said just because Dina Thompson was a liar, that did not make her a murderer. Following the judge's summing up of the case, he told the jury that even though Dina Thompson was a liar and morally corrupt, it did not mean she had a propensity to murder. He said, You will have to distinguish between a lie told to disguise her intention to kill and a lie told for another reason. Jurors were left to consider, based on the evidence presented at trial, that either Julian Webb took his own life a scenario the defence insisted his family were unable to accept, or he was poisoned by Dina Thompson. After a five-week trial and just over ten hours of deliberations, the jury of five women and six men submitted their verdict. They had not been informed of Dina Thompson's past, which included her previous acquittal of attempted murder or her convictions for stealing from a building society and her past lovers. One juror felt that Dina Thompson was not guilty, but ten others were certain that Julian Webb was poisoned and died in the home he shared with his wife on Douglas Close in Yapton, West Sussex. As the verdict was read aloud, Julian's family embraced one another in the public gallery of the Old Bailey. During sentencing in mid-December 2003, the judge recorder of London, Michael Hame, faced Dina Thompson and said, You brought about Julian Webb's death by poisoning him. What you did was utterly ruthless and without pity. 
nothing can excuse you for the wickedness of what you did. Thompson was sentenced to life in prison and would have to serve a minimum of 13 years. Outside the courtroom, Julian's mother spoke to reporters and said, Julian was a much-loved, kind, loyal and friendly young man. He is greatly missed by his family and friends, and their support has been a great help to me. The circumstances surrounding his death have been the source of great pain to me and my family. Even now, only one person knows what really happened and she is not saying. He was a trusting person and he often expressed concern for the problems that Dina seemed to be having. He was glad that he was there to protect and support her. It is with great sadness that those of us who are still here have discovered what she is really like. Martin Underhill of the Sussex Police also gave his thoughts on Dina Thompson. This woman is every man's nightmare. For the last decade, she has targeted men financially, sexually and physically. And I, for one, am very glad that she's behind bars. Dina Thompson's third husband, Richard, and his new wife spoke about what life was like after Dina's acquittal of attempted murder and the emotional damage that the event caused. That was a very hard thing to accept because I felt that uh, people didn't believe me. And now the truth is out. Everyone knows I was telling the truth three years ago. And he was so scared, um, traumatised, um, afraid of being on his own. Um, she really did do some incredible damage. He's driven by greed. And the more I hear, the more I'm convinced of how evil she is and has been to many other people. Now hopefully she won't ever do it again, because everyone knows who she is and what she's capable of. Rosemary Webb waited to put a headstone on her son's grave until justice was served. She said, There is never a day when he is not the first thought I have when I awake. He was my only much-loved child and also a good friend. So where are we now? Shortly after the verdict, detectives who had been working the case announced they had been attempting to track down another of Dina Thompson's partners, a Bulgarian man, Stoin Kostov, who had been in a relationship with Thompson during the 70s and 80s when they travelled throughout Europe together. Detective Chief Inspector for Sussex Police Martin Underhill said, We cannot trace him. We have tried in this country and through Interpol to find him. We are calling on him to get in touch. 
it was reported that Kostov disappeared in Bulgaria while Thompson was in the country training as a gymnast. Sussex Police and Interpol continued a search for Thompson's former boyfriend well into the next decade, although all attempts to track him down have failed and his whereabouts are unknown. Dina Thompson appealed her conviction. Her argument was at first dismissed by a single court judge, then heard before Lord Justice Keane, Mrs Justice Hallett and Dame Heather Steele during 2005. The judges were to decide whether to grant Dina Thompson leave to appeal her sentence. The method through which Julian Webb died an overdose of 10 capsules of aspirin and 30 capsules or more of dothopin was not disputed and the three judges agreed with the defence's opinion that Thompson's conviction was based on circumstantial evidence. However, the appeal focused on the trial judge's dismissal of an argument made by the defence that Thompson had no case to answer and should not have gone before a jury. Dina Thompson never gave evidence at her original trial and counsel for the defence Joanna Greenberg told the court that Thompson was deceitful and devious, so it would not have helped the defence's case had she taken the stand. Greenberg argued that it was Thompson's apparent disquieting character that was used by the prosecution, and said if it was any other person, their behaviour would not have raised suspicion. Two additional grounds for appeal focused on the balance of the summing up by the judge along with the statistical argument that men between the ages of 25 and 34 are more likely to die by suicide. After reviewing the submission by the defence, the judges commented on each of the points raised. Regarding the arguments relating to the possibility of suicide, the three judges pointed to testimony provided by the defence's own witness at the trial, who said that there was no direct research which could be referenced in order to bolster the claim that Julian Webb was suicidal due to his age. In relation to the points made by the defence concerning the appellant's character, the three judges believed that the initial trial judge recorder of London, Michael Hayne, was right to direct the jury as he did. When the circumstantial evidence was brought together, it created a compelling picture and also there was no indication that Julian Webb intended to take his own life. Apart from the appellant's insistence, there was no suicide note and prior to his death, Julian Webb behaved in a manner that was the opposite to someone that planned on ending their life. He was excited to move to the US with Dina Thompson and had booked a fishing trip. The argument raised by the defence during trial that Julian Webb had no desire to speak to anyone before he was found dead in the early morning hours of July 1st, 1994 was dismissed. Dina Thompson had answered the phone every time someone had called the home, including Julian's mother who asked to speak to her son before his death but was told Julian was unwell. The three judges agreed that there was evidence which proved motive as Thompson was still involved with Lee Wyatt, her former husband, 
and announced her plans to go to the United States with him. Wyatt had called at the home a week before Julian's death, which could have led to an awkward conversation between the men that Thompson had married. Also, Thompson showed an almost instant interest in Julian Webb's pension, calling his place of work the same day he was found dead. Although the Crown could not prove precisely the method through which the victim had ingested the drugs that ultimately ended his life, Thompson had not only the motive but the means as well, as she was prescribed the antidepressant. The judges felt it was right that the case should have been brought before a jury, and they were properly directed by Recorder of London Michael Hayne. Dina Thompson's application for leave to appeal her sentence was denied, and the conviction was not deemed unsafe. Four years after Dina Thompson's conviction, she sought to appeal the length of her 13-year jail term, which went before Mr Justice Usley for review. During these appeals, a sentence can be both reduced or increased. From London's High Court, the judge branded Thompson a scheming, lying, highly manipulative woman who could easily dupe men into doing her bidding and increased her minimum tariff by an additional three years. Following the announcement of the new 16-year jail term, Mr Justice Oosley said, whether she is then released will be for the parole board to decide. At that stage it will consider the need for the public to be protected from Thompson in the light of all that is known about her. And he went on to say, this was a cold and calculated murder, achieved through trickery and without remorse. There was neither mitigation nor excuse. There are no mitigating factors. In particular, there was clearly an intent to kill. Dina Thompson will be able to apply for parole at the end of 2019. Thank you for listening. And special thanks to this week's Patreon producers Joe Smith, Kimberly Jex, True Crime Nana, and everyone who supports us on Patreon. For our UK and Australian listeners, if you want to hear more, you can now buy a copy of our new audiobook, They Walk Among Us available from Audible or anywhere you purchase your audiobooks. For more information, please see our show notes or visit our website at theywalkamonguspodcast.com.
subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.